Joining us now from The Athletic, he covers college football. He is Stuart Mandel with us back on The Big Show. Hi, Stuart. How are you? Great. How are you? Hey, we're we're doing great. Just trying to kind of navigate through all the news like everybody else, I think. And there is a lot of news out there about college football and perhaps what could happen across conferences. How, um, I guess, start here. How confident are you that we're going to have college football in some way, shape or form? I think we'll have college football in some shape or form. I just don't know when it will start, whether everybody will be able to play. Um, when and uh, and what form? How many games people are going to play? I mean, I think all that is up in the air, and obviously uh, impossible to predict right now because we just don't know what's going to happen with the virus in our country. But um, there's too much at stake for them to not try to find a way to play some form of college football season, even if that means a delayed college football season. All the different universities and their football programs, obviously, then are. Are, are subject or beholden to different uh, governments, essentially. And so that's what makes it so tricky, right, Stuart? And do you think that there will be enough continuity to make it happen, like you just said? Yeah, it's so complicated. I mean, really, the, for professional sports, for like the NBA and the NFL, it's a pretty finite group of people who are making the decision what to do with their seasons, basically the commissioner and the owners, maybe a few others. But in college... Um, you're talking about in the mostly public universities uh, that are tied into their state governments. You're talking about 130 different schools, university presidents, ADs. I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, I will say that I think where we'll, we'll almost sure, uh, presumably see a lot of differences from one region or one state to another is when it comes to the issue of whether fans can attend games. And the Oregon governor just today announcing that 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 can't happen until at least through September. Um, but that's different than the decision of whether they're actually going to play football, whether it's safe for the players and coaches and staff members to um, play, whether or not there are fans in the stands. I think those decisions will largely be made by the schools themselves. I think it seems likely that uh, we'll see different conferences do their own things and make their own decisions. But is it possible that even within a conference, we could see certain universities not play, but certain play? At first, I didn't think a conference would do that. Um, but we've certainly seen comments. I mean, Mandy Staples and I interviewed six of the commissioners uh, this week for a story, and the two of them, Mike Oresco and Bob Bowlesby, uh, expressed pretty openly that they thought if it were a situation where most of the schools were ready to play but a couple weren't, that they would play. Um, I think that they would get, you might get some strained relationships out of that, but the general sentiment is there's so much riding on being able to play these games that they're not going to hold everybody back if one or two schools can't do it. I think it's a different situation if half your conference can't play, obviously. But if it's, for, for example, in the ACC, and this is where realignment and expansion and how you know vast the territory all these conferences cover now comes into effect. But the ACC, most of the schools are in the South, and those states are reopening right now. But two of them are Boston College and Syracuse, and and they're you know they're, those states are in no hurry to come back. So um, would they let those two hold back the other twelve? You know, I don't think they would. What does this mean for interconference play, and uh, what does it mean for situations where you have contracts in place uh, for games with uh, not just out-of-conference teams, but uh, for teams, independent teams? 
I think the, the well, the independent teams, you know, Notre Dame, Jack Swarbrick, there, he talked about this the other day, seems pretty confident that um, there would still be a, a way for them to play their schedule. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, if this does end up becoming a basically a made-for-TV season with no fans in the stands, obviously TV is going to have a very vested interest in Notre Dame still being a part of it. So uh, I think it would be tougher for some of the other independents that don't have that that national clout. Um, and I think what's so challenging right now is everybody's focused on the first week, you know, are we going to be able to practice in July? Are we going to be able to kick off on September 5th? What makes it so much more complicated is even if all the things fall into place to make that happen, we just don't know there's going to be another outbreak in the fall and everybody would have to, then it would grind to a halt and everybody would have to put it on hold. Um, I think everybody in college athletics right now is hoping, you know, right now it's early May. You don't really have to make any firm decisions probably till closer to July 1st. And they're just really hoping that over the next two months, there'll just be a lot more clarity around um, whether a lot of these things are practical uh, from a medical standpoint. How devastating would it be to some athletic departments if they don't get football in some way, shape, or form? And I, I'm thinking more like G5-type programs that depend so much on the revenue. You know, it's interesting. Everybody kind of brings up the G5 or the FCS, but I actually think this is a rare instance where the, the more powerful football school you are, the more it's going to hurt your bottom line because um, if, if we're talking about, okay, fans can't be in the stands this fall, that's going to be a lot more lost revenue for Ohio State which puts 100,000 people in the stands every week than for a Mac school that maybe has 10,000 people in the stands every week. Um, frankly, a lot of those group of five schools rely heavily on um, the university to help fund them, and that's a whole other issue where you know universities are going to suffer obviously tremendously uh, because of the pandemic. But uh, you know, if you're sitting there, you're Alabama, you're Ohio State. There's no, uh, there's just no scenario where you can replace 85% of your budget um, for the for for a year. Um, football truly does drive almost the entire athletic department, even at those high-level uh, Power 5 schools. Will there be scenarios where there are football programs who are operating at full speed ahead at campuses where the students aren't there? You know, we've seen some uh, some changing rhetoric around that as well. I know when the commissioners had their call with the vice president a few weeks ago, uh, they said on that call, and they came out and said afterward, at least a couple of them, uh, if, if we're not going to have college football games. College players are students, too. We're not going to have games unless students are back on campus. But lately I've seen that change to, well, probably most schools are not going to be able to fully reopen this fall, so at least if some of the students are on campus. And then just today I saw somebody say, uh, well, maybe they don't need to have these students at all. That last one doesn't seem likely to me. Um if you're at a school in a place where uh, it's such a hot spot that they don't think any student should be coming back for in-person classes, then I don't see how you can tell the football players, um, but you have to come back. Uh, and, and I don't think a lot of the players would want to come back in that scenario. But I do, I do see what, for instance, Larry Scott was saying the other day when we talked to him for our story that it's just 80,000 students are not going to be back at Arizona State this fall. There's just no way. It's going to be a phased-in approach. And I think in, a, in, in an ideal world, some students would come back. 
Um, maybe some would stay home. Even the ones that do come back may still do some of their uh, large lecture hall classes online. Um, so it's just it's just going to be a very unusual year, to say the least, and it's affecting entire universities, not just athletics. If somehow we were fortunate enough to uh, still have college football this year, what's the biggest storyline in the Pac-12 in your mind? Good question. I haven't actually had to think about football in a while. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think that the USC angle fascinates me. Um, I know that Clay Helton job watch has been a soap opera for two years now, but the reality with USC going into this year, yes, he's probably still on the hot seat, but they could actually be pretty good. Um, they, they found a star quarterback last year in Keaton Slovis, and most of his receivers come back. Um, most of the defense comes back. They were really injured last year, and he made some really good hires. So um, while the U, it's just it's a very unique situation. Most of the USC fan base, if not all, has lost faith in Clay Elton. You know, long time ago. Don't see him as the coach of the future. They play Alabama the first game. They're worried that could get ugly. But that doesn't mean USC couldn't still win the Pac-12. Uh, Oregon will obviously be really good, but you know, you look at the rest of the conference. New coaches at the two Washington schools. Utah has a lot of rebuilding to do. Um, there's not a lot of other obvious challengers to me, at least on paper, than Oregon and SC. How adaptable is college football to the point where a season could get started and then there could be an intermission and the rest of it could be pushed back? And how expensive would that be, Stu? It's hard to... Um, it's hard to answer that without knowing kind of what the other sports will be doing at that point, too. I mean, this could be a huge logistical challenge for the networks if um, sports get shut down and they come back three weeks later and the schedule is completely different and, you know, they have contracts that they need to fill and suddenly there aren't enough spots on TV. I don't know how all that works, but I think colleges would be adaptable. They wouldn't really have a choice otherwise. I think the issue would be, and, and I I've said this when it comes to any scenarios where you're pushing games in past January, um, is, it, is the NFL will still hold a draft next spring. The NFL, at, to this point, is the one league that has just operated business as usual, and I, I don't think they will uh, have anybody tell them otherwise. And so the more the season gets delayed, to me, the more likely it is that, that Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields, they don't have anything left to prove, that they would then shut it down. Uh, and start getting ready for the draft and not risk injury. And and frankly, by the time you get to, if, if it truly is a spring sport and you get to February, March, April, a lot of uh, draft guys, seniors or top juniors or draft prospects would have to shut it down. And so it would be pretty chaotic for the coaches in terms of managing their roster. Guys might be, you know, available early in the season who aren't available later in the season. You might have, I could see where um, out of necessity, they would have to let the, freshmen who are enrolling this coming January, who haven't even signed yet, uh, to play next season. So it's just going to be chaos is the best way to put it. But uh, what choice do they have? Like, they can't not play in football season. I keep saying it. It's just not an option. You can follow him on Twitter, at uh, SL Mandel, and of course, follow all of his great work at theathletic.com. Uh, Stuart, we want to thank you for jumping on the show, as always. We really appreciate it. All right. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Stuart Mandel from The Athletic, in fact, editor-in-chief of their college football coverage. And uh, always he's a the pleasure. He's the big boss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's, he's great. He's been doing a great job for years and years. 
And to think about it, he brought up something there that I hadn't really given as much thought to, and that is the flexibility not just of the people involved with the with the programs, but the flexibility required by the networks to be able to jump around and and make adjustments and and and. Uh, make the schedule work with all the other balls in the air with other sports. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I bet they'd figure it out though. Well, football's king, right? Right. And college football is a, is a big draw for everybody. So, I I mean, there's, there's roadblocks and barriers and all this sort of stuff, Gordon. The other thing that is interesting to think about, and this goes for up across the board for all sports, but football maybe in particular, how strange is it the setting of college sports where you have the game going on, but you have absolutely no one in the stands? Well, it might be a reality. You heard what he said about California and Oregon today. Right. Right. I mean, it's it's an, an idea that that where the importance of what's going on on the field, well, as important as anything is these days relative to the overall public health, but the enormity of games that look like scrimmages, but they are indeed impactful, important games that create opportunity or preclude opportunity for whatever comes uh, a program's way with nobody in the stands. That's That's just... I know we're living in weird times, but that in, this, in the, that picture in your mind is is kind of strange to think about. 